If you're updating your closet for summer, you need dependable clothes that you can wear anywhere, whatever you're doing. And for that, you can look to American Giant. American Giant makes clothing of exceptional quality for people who want something more than the status quo offers. Whether you need to re-up on reliable everyday t-shirts, pick up a solid pair of shorts, or invest in a pair of durable jeans, American Giant is a better choice. They make everything right here in the USA from start to finish. So when you buy from American Giant, you become part of creating jobs and improving local communities in towns and cities all across the country. And keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Shop your new summertime closet staples at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com with promo code WA23. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to another episode of On The Verge. Nick Stevens here to take this weekend's mailbag episode. Reminder, we take questions through the week on Twitter. We put out a specific call Thursday evening or Friday morning for questions on Twitter. You can drop your questions there, DM us, email us as well. All of our contact information is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Follow us on all three of those social media platforms. Also, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash on the verge. Check us out there. Check out all the cool perks you get for becoming a patron. And patrons get uh, priority questions here. And they always come through with some really good ones. Even some fun ones. And we'll start off with the fun one here from Tulsi. Tulsi asks, which of the minor league players that you've interviewed would you want to most have a beer with? I love this question because I love beer and I love baseball. Two of my favorite things to talk about. So having a beer with one of my favorite baseball players would be a pretty awesome experience. Uh, I think I'll, first I'll just take a moment to kind of for newer listeners. It's the beginning of the season. We've got a lot of new followers a lot of new listeners, a lot of new patrons as well. Go back through our library. We've got an extensive list of player interviews with some former guys like Johnny Reiser, Dale Hernandez, Lamar Sparks, 
And uh, a lot of uh, current Orioles, both major leaguers and prospects, we've had on the show. Spencer Watkins was our very first guest that we had. Uh, Brian Baker we've had on the show. But as far as prospect goes, Zach Peake, Brandon Young, Drew Rom, Justin Armbruster, Ryan Watson, Kate Povich, Chase McDermott, Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby, uh, and most recently, Noah DeNoyer. I didn't realize until after he left, but Zach Peake actually spent a good amount of time training here in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where I live, right after he joined the organization. Uh, but I, I missed a prime opportunity there. So Zach, if you're listening, friend of the show, uh, if you come back to train at next level, let me know. And Pale Fire Beers and Billy Jack Sticky Nugs are on me. But this is a, a tough question. I, I think I would have to go with Drew Rom here. Rom was a really fun guest because he stayed for the entire episode when we had him on. Gave some great insights into his teammates and the organization. Very laid back, down to earth guy. Uh, very chill. I, I would love to have the opportunity to have a few beers with Rom and just listen to him talk about pitching for a couple of hours there. Also, I get the vibe from our talk with Connor Norby that having some beers with Norby and Kobe Mayo while watching a Minnesota Wild versus Florida Panthers hockey game could be quite the adventure. So that would that probably be my second answer to, the, to that one. But uh, next question here comes from another patron, Kenneth. Kenneth asks, what is your percentage chance or tease, Joey or tease, sticks at the majors after next week if he continues to do what he's been doing all year? I think the odds are pretty low that Ortiz stays in the majors right now. Definitely plus odds on this one if we're talking in terms of uh, betting terms. But just because we see how this organization is operating in 2023, we know one reason he was promoted for this series against Detroit was because of that, the lefty-righty matchup situation. And it was Ortiz over Jordan Westberg because Westberg is not on the 40-man while Joey Ortiz is. And I don't think this move was intended to be a permanent move right now. So why take someone off the 40-man to bring up Westberg if you're just going to send him right back down? I know that opens up a whole other can of worms there about Adam Frazier and some other guys, but Adam Frazier isn't going anywhere right now, especially here on April 29th when I'm recording this. So I go back to our interview with Eve Rosenbaum, and one thing that really stuck with me was when she talked about the importance of that depth and mentioned Houston specifically and their pitching depth and how they weren't going to deal from that depth because Good teams need that. And when you look at the Orioles, I know some are frustrated with the Cal Stowers situation, but the comfort of knowing that Stowers is in AAA as a depth piece is so much better than watching this team continue to win. And then we see that unfortunate injury with Austin Hayes. We avoided one recently, but what if that injury becomes serious next time? Or Anthony Santander's bat finally heats up but an injury happens there. And then you have to plug some career quad A player who was just signed to a minor league deal you know, back in late February for the sole purpose of filling a roster spot down in Norfolk for one year before releasing him and finding another filler next season. Stowers isn't that guy. Stowers has big time power from the left side and has gotten on base at a very high clip throughout his minor league career. As I mentioned in a previous episode, maybe you know, perhaps the Orioles just view Stowers only as a depth piece. And if so, I, I do think that's fine because of what he can offer the organization, and he's a pretty good reserve option if that's what he is. And I think based on our Twitter mentions the last few days, is Kyle Stowers is absolutely raked down in AAA. It's very clear that a lot of people, I think myself included, would prefer to have Stowers on the major league roster over McKenna. But we just had this discussion the other week as to why Stowers uh, is on this major league roster over McKenna and why a Stowers for McKenna swap isn't very likely. But going back to Joey Ortiz, I don't think Ortiz falls in that particular category, that Kyle Stowers category. I think long term, I fully believe in the bat. 
I watch him play every night down in the minors, and now we have that added StatCast data to back up what we're seeing. I really can't stress enough that the bat is for real, and I do believe in his chances to translate that into the majors. But for right now, he is is a premier depth option that you can use to play the matchups, fill in for injury or or whatever else. He's also able to get his feet wet in the majors this way. Like The Orioles are winning. They're winning a lot. They are making early season roster moves that prove that winning is the priority. And Joey Ortiz is going to play a big role in that, just not as an everyday player right now. But if he keeps hitting well in Norfolk, performing like he has this past weekend in the majors when given that chance, taking good at bats, his time will come. And it's going to make for a lot of tough conversations this offseason and as the season progresses. But for right now, I'm just really enjoying watching this organization have so many assets to use on a nightly basis. Clearly, they're making more and more more correct decisions than wrong decisions. And you know what? Some key players are struggling right now. Adley has been fairly quiet recently. Gunner is getting on base, but dealing with some rookie struggles. Ryan Mountcastle is probably the unluckiest player to ever live. And Anthony Santander, I think, has some people ready to pack his backs for him, but they keep winning series after series. And this might have strayed away far away from the original question. And sorry for that, but like this team is just so much fun. And we haven't even seen anything close, I think, to the best yet. And there's a big group of high-level prospects waiting in the wings, like Joey Ortiz, ready to step up if necessary this year. So I'm, I'm drunk on the orange Kool-Aid, and I am absolutely loving it not ready to stop this party anytime soon next question here comes from canon canon has another joey ortiz question he says how would you compare ortiz's defense at second to his shortstop defense so ortiz hasn't played much second base in his career just 37 games he's played six at third base 192 of his games have come at shortstop first of all i think it says something about how the organization views ortiz when westberg vavra and Connor Norby all get shuffled around the infield and get moved to the outfield as well for added flexibility, but Ortiz primarily stays at shortstop with the occasional game at second base. I think it's very clear that they view him as a premier middle infielder, and he's going to stay there. Kind of as I mentioned in the previous question, though, the odds are promising that his bat translates to the majors, meaning he's a future everyday major league infielder. And we saw a little bit of what he can do at second base this weekend. You really have nothing to worry about if Ortiz is at second base. He's just as quick. He can still get on those double plays. Second base, shortstop, it doesn't matter. Joey Ortiz is going to be a premier defender there for you. Next question here comes from Justin. Justin asks, prospect-related question here, has Heston Kerstad surpassed Colton Kowser as the top outfield prospect? This is a really tough question. I'll take this opportunity before I dive in here to plug our upcoming top 50 prospect update. That happens on the first of each month during the season. No major overhauls, really, but players develop or show clear signs of not progressing in some areas over the course of the season. And we want to take what we're watching on a nightly basis and all the new information that we're getting, talking with people in the organization, and make sure our list is updated regularly. So with that, we also record an episode talking through our changes and why moves were made. And that gets released only to patrons, so definitely check out uh, patreon.com slash ontheverge to sign up and enjoy that perk. That will be next week. We'll release our new top 50 and our accompanying ep- episode to talk through those changes. And one of the issues, one of the first big issues I had was who goes number three on my list. And I did make a very big change that I felt was right. I kind of hinted at this on last week's main episode. But referring to Justin's question, it was a question, the next big question that I had when updating my top 50 is what do you do with Heston Kerstad? And do you put Heston Kerstad above Colton Kowser right now? Do you move him up that high? Ranking Heston Kerstad has been really difficult the last couple of years. The, the unique health situation, the pandemic impacting development for so many 
And just more and more time between Kershaw's college career and his pro debut just kept making this even more difficult. I remember even when we had Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline on and we kind of asked him about ranking Kershaw and he basically threw his hands up and, and said, this is an extremely difficult uh, decision. You see it in writings over at Fangraphs and Baseball America as well when they're putting their list together. You know, Kershaw had this big debut with Delmaro, which was great, but you look at his prior experience and age and figure, even with all of the missed time, he should excel against 19-year-old kids who don't really stack up. Some of the pitchers he's facing don't stack up against some of the top SEC arms in the country that Kershaw faced when he was at Arkansas. He gets promoted to Aberdeen and struggles. So while everyone has a better idea of what he can do now, that time in Aberdeen did lead to a few more questions. Then you go to the AFL. The AFL experience was great, literally an MVP performance. But he's playing in ballparks that can make non-power hitters look like power hitters. And so you question how much of that was for real. He did strike out a lot. So what do you make of all of this? Again, it was a really it's really tough to sit here once the season starts and say, where exactly do you put him? But now when you look at what he did in the AFL and in spring training, and now you look at what he's doing in Bowie, like these home runs that he's hitting in Bowie aren't cheapies. He's OPSing over a thousand right now. He's playing right field. He's playing first base. He's hitting at the top of the lineup. He's playing a good first base too. I mean, not terrible. He's learning. He's playing a decent outfield as well. He's showing He's showing me that while the questions at previous stops that I mentioned were valid, he's answering a lot of those questions. He is moving up my personal list. And while I can't speak for Bob or Zach here, I imagine you do see Heston Kershaw move up a few spots in our update next week. Is he ahead of Colton Kowser? Not for me. Uh, not right now. I'm... Very sure that we're going to dive into this exact question a lot more in a couple of days with our Patreon-exclusive episode, but like I said, this is a question I thought a lot about when updating my list. Kowser plays a more premium position out there in center field, and he's putting together quite the highlight reel this season out there in center field, while also playing center field at Harbor Park, which is a pretty big uh, ballpark, as we've talked plenty of times, especially that center field area. He's hitting 308 right now, a 963 OPS. These numbers don't include Saturday night's game with the Norfolk Tide just put up 20 runs against the Charlotte Knights. He's got a career on base percentage over 43%, around 43% right now, which is absolutely insane. He doesn't have the Heston Kershaw level power, but he does have power. And the hit tool is so impressive. If you're concerned about the strikeouts, they are coming down notably. So like, we're not talking massive differences here, but I do still have Kowser pretty firmly ahead of Kershaw on my list at the end of the day. I mean, it's some of this comes down to personal preference. Some of this comes down to really nitpicking certain things. We were talking about two fantastic prospects here. Moving on to something a little bit different here, talking about trades. Charles in the Patreon group asks, I see very few pitchers right now who are A, available, B, performing, C, worth giving up our prospects for. Do you have any on your list that you're looking at right now? I've seen some discussion about this already. This, this team is fun. This team is winning. And this team needs pitching, especially if you want to go deep into make a deep playoff run. Fortifying the starting rotation would certainly not be a bad idea. As far as looking at who who am I looking at right now, not too many guys, to be honest. It's still so early, and I think outside of maybe, I'm counting like five teams, I think everyone else has to believe that 2023 can still be a big year for them. So it's hard to identify who the sellers are right now. A you know, lot of talk, obviously, among Orioles fans about you know Burns and, and Woodruff over there in Milwaukee, but Milwaukee could pretty easily win the Central Division. So I don't see them being sellers right now. Obviously, the Corbin Burns situation is the arbitration stuff. Is that relationship scarred? 
where does Milwaukee want to go in the near future? I still think this is a contending team despite some major injuries offensively. They're still playing extremely well. And you know, Corbin Burns also hasn't been exactly great. Is he hurt? Not what's going on with him? Not exactly sure. I think as of right now, Brandon Woodruff is on the IL. I, I don't, I'm not looking at the Milwaukee guys right now. Cincinnati is locking down all of their starters. I don't think they're going to have anybody to trade. Herman Marquez from Colorado is someone that I was actually buying a lot of stock in this this offseason after reading some really great work by a few people in the fantasy industry. That's starting to burn me a little bit. Uh, I think he's back on the aisle for the second time already this year. So I think there could be something seriously wrong there with him. I was watching his first start where he got hurt and I, I instantly thought, that's Tommy John surgery. His body language... It, doing a warm-up toss, and all of a sudden he's looking at his forearm, pointing up and down the forearm. I was like, that's that's it for Marquez. But he came back for a little bit, and now he's back on the IL, so probably staying away from there. You can throw out the name Alex Cobb. It looks like he's appears at least to be finally having that season that so many have thought could come for years now. Every year it's like, he's so unlucky. Look at this metric. Look at that metric. If everything falls right for him like Alex Cobb could have a real breakout year that breakout year never came but he's having a really good year in San Francisco right now he has a 10 million dollar club option for next season so that could be something worth looking into if San Francisco falls out of the race which I imagine they probably will would certainly be an interesting situation I still need to see a lot more from Alex Cobb though before I'm seriously considering him I think right now in late April you look at some of the obvious candidates are Chicago the White Sox and the Tigers as two teams who are definitely going to be selling. Lance Lynn has an $18 million club option for next year, but he's 35. The velo continues to tick down. The ERA is almost eight right now, and he's walking. Pretty high number of batters. Lucas Giolito could be interesting. I don't think he has the team control that the Orioles are probably going to be looking for, but he's only 28, and he's pitching pretty well this year, so maybe an extension candidate if you're able to pull that trade off. Would not mind that one. Uh, I don't know if I see the White Sox selling Dylan Cease even if they wanted to, as of right now, it doesn't look like they'd be selling super high on him. And you imagine the White Sox would be looking for a very impressive haul, uh, one that would certainly jumpstart their kind of rebuild here that they, I don't think they realize that they need to go on. Uh, I don't really know exactly what's going on over there in Chicago yet again, but I, I just don't see the White Sox selling cease right now. You know, should Minnesota fall out of the race? I'm looking at their pitching staff other than Pablo Lopez, obviously, but a lot of guys having good rebound years down there in Minnesota. Could be some interesting trade targets there. And I think one of the bigger names as of right now, April 29th, April 30th, I think one of the bigger targets is going to be Eduardo Rodriguez from Detroit. We've seen him a couple times up close and personal. I think he's going to be in high demand and the Tigers will be dumb not to sell high on him. You know, but I think give it another month and you'll have a better idea of who a lot of the sellers are going to be. And we'll be looking at some stronger sample sizes from guys and better be able to Nail down a list of potential targets, but obviously the Orioles can outbid anybody and land pretty much anybody they want, I think. So let's let's just hope that this team is actually active at the deadline and carries through on something they say, because they could certainly make the trade deadline very fun and very interesting. Move on to a couple of questions here from Ben in the Patreon group. Uh, we'll start with this first one. Ben says, is it time to DFA Ciano Perez? I think it would make a lot of sense. I think he was pegged as a possible regression candidate coming into the season, and that's come to fruition so far. But he has a lefty arm that can be... He does have a pretty nasty repertoire when it's on. I think this this organization obviously looks at a ton more data that we don't have access to, and they have a much better idea of 
is this a slump that he can maybe fight out of or has the magic just run out? And I don't think they will because of his success last year and what he's capable of and the fact that it's still only April. So I don't know if a DFA is in the immediate cards. We can all agree though that he hasn't been good, but if this organization still sees promise, then I think they give him a bit of a longer leash to try and work through whatever issues he's having right now. The fact that he's a lefty, I think makes it a little bit more difficult of a decision right now, but Regardless, Michael Gibbons and Dylan Tate are coming back soon, which is great. The bullpen is performing overall very well with some very pleasant surprises, obviously, but tough decisions are going to be need to be made here in the next couple of, of days and weeks. And if it's up to me, I say, yeah, it looks like DFA and Perez would be the right move. But like I said, if this org still likes what they're seeing behind the scenes, then I think you see them take advantage of those players with options, no matter how angry fans will likely react to some possible moves. You know, Not saying that I agree with if that's the path, but it is one that I could realistically see the organization taking. Next question here, Ben asks, how do you get Jordan Westberg on this major league roster? Trade plus an injury. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If I had to put money down, I would probably say that Jordan Westberg packaged in a deal before he makes his MLB debut with the Orioles. That that would probably be my guess. Again, this team is playing so well. They aren't going to bench a veteran for a rookie. Frazier's not going anywhere right now. If the opportunity does arise where they feel like Jordan Westberg is going to make this team better and give him everyday starts, then they're going to pull the trigger and they're going to bring him up. But as of right now, I just don't see the spot for him. I don't know whose spot on the roster he takes and where does he get those everyday at-bats that the organization I'm sure is going to want to give him. So I'm still looking out at a possible uh, Jordan Westberg leading a, a trade package at some point this year. The last question here from Ben. He says, what does the future look like for Taryn Vavra and Kyle Stowers? Dreams of being a regular someday completely gone or just a bump in the road? We've talked a lot about Stowers on recent episodes, plus earlier in this one, you know, he could very well develop into that major league regular eventually. I would not be shocked at all to see if that happens, if he's finally given regular playing time for once. But I think it's tough to see that happening with the Orioles this year, pending trades and or injuries, of course. As for Vavra, I think we've been very consistent in saying since he was acquired that he's not an everyday guy. He is a super utility player and should be a, a good utility player in the major leagues for a very long time. My opinion has not changed at all with him. And I believe that he can carve out that long, successful MLB career in that role. I think he's doing exactly what you want him to do when he's been given a chance. Uh, we'll move on to another question here from Alex. Alex says, I think most of us here want D.L. Hall to be a starter, but is there a time in the year where you make the call to use him as an Andrew Miller type reliever? I think I talked about this about two weeks or so ago when we focused on pitching in the minors on our main episode. I think you keep D.L. Hall in Norfolk's rotation right now. And if you keep seeing the high number of whiffs and the lack of hard contact against him, which has been a big positive for him this year, if you keep seeing those high pitch counts, though, just to get through four innings, you know, the 70, 75, 80 pitches to get through four innings, I think then you bring him up as this big injection of talent close to the deadline. Like No need to overpay for a reliever at the deadline when you can add an impact arm from your 40-man roster in DL Hall. Like, I would not be surprised to see that actually happen, and it's pretty fun to think about, especially if what he said this weekend about adding weight training back to his routine and how he hopes that helps the velo climb back up, that could be a big bonus as well. And then he's also still in a position where you can give him a chance to start again next spring. So it's not like you're built, you're going to have to build him back up from scratch if you say, hey, next spring training, we want to try you out as a starter. We want to give you that other opportunity. He spent most of this year building up to that role. So I say the trade deadline, bring him up closer to the end of the year. 
let him keep working in Norfolk. Let him keep seeing if he can figure things out and something finally click. That, that one big thing finally clicks for him. But even if not, and you see a lot of this, like I said, the whiff rates look good. He's not allowing a lot of hard contact. He's still getting these strikeouts. I think that stuff is going to play up a lot in a relief role. Using using him as that Andrew Miller, one-inning, two-inning type guy late in the season. He's going to be fresher than some of your other star, your bullpen guys. I think it's a lot of fun to think about him as filling that role by the end of the year. Move on to Vivek. Question here says, will the Orioles trade a reliever given the potential logjam that may occur at the major league level? I don't know how feasible a trade in the next few weeks would be, but obviously never counting out a trade with this organization. Kind of like I talked about with the Perez question, there's going to be a shakeup soon with Givens and Tate coming back. Do you DFA Perez? Do you send Keegan Aiken down? Do they send Michael Bauman down, even though that would be extremely frustrating because you know he's been pitching so well, you finally been asking this for three years now just to move him into this relief role and watch him cook and that's what he's doing right now but we know this org isn't too concerned about optics of a move and he does have options so again I think you do see I don't think you see this organization afraid to send somebody down to make a roster spot um, kind of shuffle guys in and out I was hoping maybe some rebuilding team would look at Keegan Aiken as a possible starter for them this offseason, and Aiken was going to be moved, but you know, maybe that can still happen. You know, all offseason, I hated getting questions about what do we do with you know Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, and Jordan Westbury, and Gunner, and Mateo in this infield. How do we fit all these puzzle pieces together? But now when you look at this bullpen, it makes the infield questions look pretty easy. But I imagine the Orioles continue to remain active with any potential deals and try to trade someone for something before they go the DFA route if it's a player that they're looking to get off the roster we'll see we'll see how all this starts to shake out in just a couple of days as I imagine Michael Givens will probably be the be the first guy that makes his way back to the Orioles roster and we'll see what they do there and Dylan Tate will obviously be just a couple of days behind him our last question here this week is our weekly preview question from David in Patreon. The Orioles take on the Kansas City Royals and Atlanta next week on the road. David likes a little preview information there. No exact pitching matchups information this early on, but the Royals are 7-21 and right now as I record this. They are 1-12 at home. <laughs> the Orioles are going on the road to take on Kansas City and Atlanta as they continue this extensive road streak. Offensively, the Royals are dead last in the walk rate. They've got the fourth highest strikeout rate in the majors at more than 25%. They're 28th in team batting average, last in on-base percentage, 28th in slugging percentage, tied with the Colorado Rockies for the league-worst WRC plus of 69 Pitching-wise, not much better. The rotation has a combined 5.50 ERA, which ranks in the bottom half of the league in terms of walk and strikeout rates. Jordan Lyles and Zach Greinke are giving up more than two home runs per nine innings pitch. They both have ERAs over six and striking out less than seven per game. Brad Keller's walking nearly seven per nine innings and his team best 3.94 ERA does come with a 4.79 FIP and a 5.28 XFIP, but he does keep the ball on the ground. So stay patient against him and, and don't feed into that ability to keep the batted balls on the ground. Brady Singer is killing my fantasy team, but that's really all that he's killing. He's first percentile in average exit below and hard hit percentage, which is over 61% of batted balls against Brady Singer have been hard hit, which, as you know, is 95 miles per hour or harder. A ton, ton of dark blue on his baseball savant page for Singer. This has to be a series where you keep beating bad teams and keep 
stacking as many wins as possible because the AL East is, as usual, a monster, but it seems particularly brutal this year. On the flip side, as far as hitting goes on this Kansas City team, you know, Vinny Pasquatino is hitting the ball very well. He walks a lot, does not strike out a lot. Pasquatino, along with Bobby Witt Jr. and Salvador Perez, all three of them do a good job of not striking out a lot. And if you aren't careful, this trio can hurt you. I think their overall numbers don't look great right now outside of Pasquatino. His his numbers across the board look pretty good. But we know what Bobby Witt Jr. is capable of. Salvador Perez is just, he's that veteran that you've got to be careful when you're working, when you're trying to work against him. He can hurt you. Got to take advantage of facing the guys like your friend Mil Reyes, Michael Massey, and MJ Melendez who are striking out between 35 and 40-something percent, uh, that trio, um, it's not a scary lineup, but it is a lefty-heavy lineup and does have guys who can be weapons if things click all at once. So got to take this series because the Atlanta Braves are next. The Atlanta Braves right now, sitting atop the AL East, the NL East, sorry. If my math is correct, and it's probably not, it looks like the Orioles could avoid Max Freed. I'm basing this off fan graphs and their, if you go to their roster resource page, it looks like they have when guys should make their next start. The Orioles could avoid Max Freed, but they're still likely going to get Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, and Bryce Elder. That would be helpful, though, to avoid Freed and Kyle Wright. But you've got Spencer Strider there. He's 3-0 with a 1.80 ERA on the season, striking out nearly 15 guys per nine innings. He's fifth in F4 in the majors right now. Charlie Morton's doing his crafty veteran stuff, 2.76 ERA. Elder's rocking at 2.17 ERA. Offensively, this is a juggernaut. Ronald Acuna leads the majors with a 1.8 or F4 right now. Sean Murphy and Matt Olson also rank in the top 26 in F4. As a team, this Atlanta lineup has the fifth highest walk rate, but also the eighth highest strikeout rate. So you can get them there. But this is a unit that has the third highest OPS in baseball, which is nearly 30 points higher than the Orioles, who rank ninth in OPS. They're 18 and 9 right now to lead the NL East by three games, but they're just 7-7 seven and seven at home versus 11-2 and two on the road. Their home schedule has been a little bit more tough than their road schedule. So this team definitely looks beatable in a series. However, the Orioles pitching is going to have to really step up. And it's going to be a battle of the bullpens. This isn't a situation where if you just knock out Spencer Strider early and get to this Braves bullpen. Right now, the Orioles bullpen, according to Fangraphs, is worth a league-high 1.8 F4. Atlanta is second at 1.5. So things are not going to get any easier if you, even if you are able to knock starters out in this one. I think this series will no doubt be a pretty good measuring stick, and it's going to tell us a lot more about this Orioles team. And it's definitely going to be a ton of fun to watch. But that'll do it for this week's mailbag episode. If you are a patron, you should be getting our regular episode on Monday nights, along with a top 50 list update with a bonus episode soon. Everyone else, if you aren't a patron, come join us. Everyone who isn't a patron will also be getting our check-in with Noah Denoya. Noah DeNoyer, as part of our uh, main episode on Monday, so look out for that as well. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season, and much, much more. Build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Stride Bank NA, member FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.